So honestly, how are you both doing? Don't do the, oh, everything's fine. Like, how are you doing today? Just gut check right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, good, good. It's really hot here. <laughs> and it's starting to, I don't know, I think I'm starting to kind of crack up a little, you know? <laughs> Listeners, send help. <laughs> Support your local member station. Get Stacy a vacation. Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week on the show, why this pandemic is hurting women more than men. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all, from NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. And this week, this episode, a Planet Money takeover. I have two great panelists, two all-stars here with me. Mary Childs, co-host and correspondent for NPR's Planet Money podcast, a podcast all about economics and Stacey Bannock-Smith, co-host of The Indicator, Planet Money's daily economics podcast. Hello to you both. Long time no talk. Hello, Sam. Hi. How's it going? It's been too long. Yes, it has. You know, it's going. And I keep saying, oh, it's been too long. But what is time? I don't know anymore. Flat circle. <laughs> <laughs> we are definitely in a warp. Yes, yes, yes. we are. <laughs> so I'm so glad both of you are here. Not just because I like y'all a lot, but because y'all know a lot about the economy. And I have so many questions about the state of our economy right now. I don't actually know what's going on with it. Uh, so we're going to talk about that serious economic news in a bit. But first, I want to take some time to point out one of the most interesting and perhaps sad economic stories of this summer. Have y'all heard that sales of kiddie pools are through the roof right now? Oh, that makes yeah. sense, right? Does I mean, it? that's is that the, that's the saddest pool. thing. I contributed to that. Wait, really? You did, Mary? Tell me. I did. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I knew this was going to happen. So like in May, I was like, we got to get one before the rush. Like this is going to sell out. <laughs> and indeed, we got a little plastic green, like very crappy uh, kiddie pool. And I'm we are actually pregnant right now. So my husband thought that it was for our future child. And I was like, oh, my God, no, this is obviously for us. <laughs> this is for putting our feet in and being like, this is so sad. Yeah. Yeah. So an Amazon spokesperson actually yeah. told a reporter at Market Watch that this year on Amazon, sales of pools and pool related products, they have nearly doubled compared to last year. And full disclosure, I got to tell you guys. I bought a little kiddie pool that is like for dogs, but also for small kids. And I've told myself I got the kiddie pool for my dog. I got it for me. I got it for me. And I feel sad about that. For your book, for both oh, of yeah. you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, and. You know, you and the dog. <laughs> and congratulations, Mary. I didn't know you guys were pregnant. Oh, thank That's you. That's so exciting. <laughs> oh, I was going to say congrats on the kiddie pool and like living your dream. But yeah, also a baby. <laughs> that too. Yes, that too. I that mean, too. that's the achievement so far, really. Yeah. All right. Now we got to talk about like the greater economy, not just the pool economy. And I want to take some time to dig into this recession. And there's one big difference I want to focus on with this recession compared to the last one. This recession, it seems is hurting women more than men. So my first question to you both, and then we'll unpack it. Uh, Mary, Stacy, why? There are so many reasons why. Okay. But I think the first, <laughs> the you know, women are more likely to be in those jobs that don't transfer to working from home. So a lot of women just got immediately unemployed real fast. Mm -hmm. And to your point, they may have kind of government checks that make up for that a bit. But if they have children, they're just stuck at home taking care of the children constantly, which is a full-time job. And if they have 
even the most supportive partner in the universe, our society has ingrained in us that it's the woman's job to take care of those children, and everyone's losing their minds. Do we know yet how stark of a difference this is in terms of how the recession is affecting the average man versus the average woman? We do. Um, I think it was through June, the unemployment rate for women was two percentage points higher than that for men. And obviously, that gets far, far worse when you look at the demographics for black women or Latina women. Wow. Now, some of this is just because women, particularly black and brown women, they work in a lot of jobs where you can't do it from home. If you're working in food service or if you're a grocery store clerk, exactly. you're going to work or you're losing your job. That's it, right? Exactly. They're in hospitality. They're in retail. They're in tourism industries. They're doing a lot of child care professionally. And a lot, a lot of those jobs, I mean, most of those jobs, especially when the shutdown was more acute, were just gone. Yeah. Looking back to the last recession and other recessions that have usually hit men more, why do recessions usually hit men more? Well, I think there are a few answers to that question, but one of them is that I think in past recessions, it was certain industries that got hit because those were industries that were like a little weaker. For instance, manufacturing. A lot of those jobs are kind of more old school jobs that represent kind of an older economy, mm-hmm. but they're still really good jobs and they're overwhelmingly male, whereas like the service economy, healthcare, those things tend to be more resilient. Yeah. You know, when we think about how a government responds to a recession, How do you help a country get back from a recession differently when it's not a man-focused recession, but a woman-focused recession? I'm guessing that means you need different remedies for these problems. Yeah, I mean, part of what's so difficult here is that economists love to talk about this thing called a tight labor market. So a tight labor market just really means very low unemployment. And when unemployment gets really low, that benefits workers, right? Workers have more power. Businesses are scrambling around to find people to do jobs. And that is really good for a lot of groups who are valued less by our economy. That is women. That is people of color. That is people with, like, criminal records. Anyone who's at a slight disadvantage does really well when the unemployment rate goes down and the labor market starts to tighten. And, of course, the opposite happens often when the labor market starts to go south Because, you know, we've heard a lot about, you know, the gender pay gap recently. Um, It's like women earn about 80 cents on the dollar for uh, compared to what a man earns. For black women, that's 65 cents on the dollar. For Hispanic women, that's 55 cents on the dollar. You see things like that improve a lot when the unemployment rate goes down and companies are having to compete for workers. But those problems tend to get a little worse when the economy softens. And so then, you know, thinking about some kind of recovery at some point, if we're in a situation now where women were lagging behind men already, that lag is exacerbated by this current recession. Does this recession like set women, capital W, back economically for like years to come? Yes. Like, can they recover from this? Yes. there. I mean, there's a study that said that this erased 30 years of gender progress in the workplace, that this just set us back so far. And recovering that is so hard. These lags, anytime you step out of the workforce for any reason, it damages your career long term. And it's like you're going to see that translated into years and decades now. Well, and there's a question about when women can actually start to recover, because if child care is such a big issue and we don't yet know when kids can go back to school, that means a lot of women will have their hands tied when it comes to work for months, you know, as the school year begins this fall. And furthermore, a lot of the 
childcare centers are run by women. Mm. And if those don't get any funding and any help in, in the coming days, weeks, months, those will just shut down. There's some a study recently came out that said that more than 40 percent of the nation's child care centers will be forced to shut down if they don't get more funding. So that's a huge problem that, to your point, just compounds the existing crisis. Yeah. I want to unpack the problem of child care. You know, we stated that it is an eternal truth that we all know. But can we break down the data a bit and really explain and unpack why the child care conundrum sets up women for this big and lingering disadvantage? Yeah, I mean, part of the reason is that a third of all parents in the U.S. are single parents, and huh. a majority of those are mothers. So they are really counting on childcare. And if, like Mary was saying, 40% of childcare businesses go out of business, I mean, that that is probably going to make it more expensive because there are going to be more people competing to get their kids into childcare. That's going to hit low-income families the hardest. And, you know, households headed by women are far more likely to live below the poverty line. So that's going to hit all mm. those families mm. so much harder than everybody else. Well, and then it seems as if, you know, there are these households headed by single mothers in jobs that make less money a lot of the time. Yeah, They're closer to really big life-shattering events that could hurt them for years. Like how many women are a month or two away from not being able to make the rent or the mortgage? And once you're evicted... That sets off a spiral that can take Mm -hmm. years to recover from. And I'm guessing women are closer to eviction than men usually are. Yeah. I mean, the numbers on rent payments are just like pretty staggering. I saw one statistic here in New York where I am that 25 percent of rent stabilized tenants have not paid any rent at all since March. That seems really high to me. But if that's true, I mean, right now, I think we're all sort of in an emergency lockdown situation. Mm -hmm. But When that goes away and evictions kind of start happening here and all across the country, I mean, that is going to be, like you said, like people are going to be, I mean, that could cause a huge crisis for families. And a lot of families, like you say, are living quite close to the line, especially if they've lost a job. Yeah. You know, so right now, Congress is trying to figure out whether or not they'll pass some more recovery bills to help with this recession. If we're talking about a recession that is hurting women more than men, how do policymakers address that in bills for recovery? That's such a good question. I think one of the ways that's been put forward that has seemed to be effective so far is these payments, these universal basic income experiments, if you will, Mm -hmm. where we send either one semi-large check, large depending on how you define it, and or the unemployment insurance. And between these programs, you've basically been able to assuage a lot of those immediate acute concerns. But as those expire, I mean, because we have this uncertainty, this kind of like big question mark about what's going to happen next, credit card spending has fallen off a cliff. Like we don't you can't make a rational decision if you don't have the input. So like not knowing what the government's going to do really, really puts a strain on people trying to make choices. And if they're choosing between rent and trying to feed their family, they're going to feed their family. And then what? Like that's when we start to see. So you do need government action and you do probably need it ASAP and Even just continuing what we've had so far would be better than the big question mark. Yeah. Do y'all think that there might be any cultural changes uh, in like just our society writ large as a result of how this recession and this pandemic is hitting women the hardest? Oh, I so hope so. Yeah. Mm. I have this eternal battle personally with like not wanting to be optimistic and then disappointed. But (laughs) it does feel like we suddenly had to be like, 
oh my God, it might matter if my, you know, restaurant worker preparing this food for my takeout has the flu and has no sick days. Like under normal non-COVID circumstances, we're suddenly aware as a society that that's a thing that can happen. Mm -hmm. And we're suddenly aware as a society that maybe we mispriced childcare. And maybe we should have thought... Or just don't think about it enough. Exactly. We just never addressed it. We were like, oh, that's fine because we're still living with this legacy of stay-at-home moms and the kind of traditional family structure. You know, we're still trying to kind of navigate women in the workplace, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, Now we we have it right in front of us. You can't look away. You have, you know, managing directors at very important banks with their children running around shrieking in the background. Like, I'm loving the visible parenting, but like this is a real thing. We have to do oh, this. Yeah. Like this has been shunted to the side oh, yeah. and now we have to look at it directly. Well, even, f- is yeah, goal. even for me, I mean, like I am just this, you know, oblivious 35 year old guy with no kids. <laughs> and over the midst of the pandemic, I've had to see my editor who was brilliant and amazing, but raising two kids while running this show, I'll see her kids on the conference calls a lot or I'll hear them in the background. And it's made me stop in this moment and say, oh, wait, Everything we make on this show and everything that's made in the economy, it is happening only because a lot of women paid someone else to watch their kids. And I never thought about that. And now it's all I think about. It's all I think about. And I'm like, that's good. (laughs) I should think about that. I should not be the oblivious man with no kids. It is, I, yeah, it's a good thing to know about. And it is, I mean, there's so many things that go into that, right? Like I was reading in, in advance of this, I was reading up and it was this one article was like, yeah, wealthy white women are, you know, underpaying women of color to take care of their children so they can go make more money. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, damn, there it is. <laughs> that is just exactly what is happening. Yeah, <laughs> It's a waterfall. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, as we're talking about this right now, my editor slacks me and says that she is listening to this recording and editing in real time <laughs> while holding her baby and toys next to her. Snaps for Jordana. See? Whoa, and man. This that is, Don't that's cut this pretty in impressive. Post. The people need to know. <laughs> I stand. <laughs> that is... That is, I'm pretty blown away. That's amazing. Hero. When we come back, Stacy and Mary are going to play my favorite game with me. Who said that? You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who specialize in issues such as isolation, depression, stress, anxiety, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment when you need professional help. Get help at your own time and your own pace. Schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. Visit BetterHelp.com minute to learn more and get 10% off your first month. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Verbo. Summer is here, and vacation is just a drive away. Search thousands of nearby vacation rentals on Verbo to find your family a private home all to yourselves, where you can spread out, chill out, and feel that vacation feeling again together. Book the home that makes the vacation. Download the Verbo app. That's V-R-B-O. Every business has to figure out what to charge for its product and how to keep out competitors. You know who does this better than anyone else? Drug dealers. On the next episode of Planet Money Summer School, we explain pricing theory with a drug kingpin. Summer School, new classes every Wednesday. Listen now to Planet Money from NPR.
We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders, here this weekend with the Planet Money dream team of a panel. Stacey Vanek-Smith, co-host of Planet Money's daily economics podcast, The Indicator, and Mary Childs, co-host and correspondent at NPR's Planet Money. Uh, Speaking of money, have y'all heard of the great American coin shortage that's happening right now. Oh, yes. I love That's like my yes. favorite news story right now. We get so many emails about this. Okay, tell folks what's going on. Because I saw it this morning and was like, what? So basically the U.S. Mint stopped minting coins for a while because of the shutdown. And then all these businesses, you know, have closed down. So they're, the coins that are in their cash registers are just kind of sitting there. Huh. And now there is a coin shortage. Wow. <laughs> so... Companies are getting really desperate. There was a bank, I think in Wisconsin, that started paying people to bring their change. So if you bring them $100 worth of change, they will give you $105 because they're trying to help local businesses survive. And then I think CVS now requires exact change. I don't know how. The only way to make CVS even more awful than every CVS (laughs) is to make you come there with exact change. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, man. Okay. All right. Now it's time to play a game. My favorite <laughs> game. It is called Who Said That? Ooh, Who said that? Y'all know how it goes. It's really simple. I share a quote from the week. You got to tell me who said that or guess the story I'm talking about. Uh, shall we begin? Let's go. Let's do it. Okay. There are no buzzers. Just yell out the answer when you think you have it. The first quote is, quote, when you look at the logo, you notice a black area inside of it. The black area embodies the vast darkness of deep space. Some feel fear and dread, but we prefer to be inspired and stand up to the challenge. Hashtag Simper Supra. Who said that? Oh my gosh, I'm very intrigued. It's a part of the government, a new part of the government. Oh, the space force people. Yes, 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 you got it. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) the Space Force uh, described its new logo in a tweet this week. The Space Force? I totally missed this. What is the Space Force? Stop it. Stacey, you don't know about the Space Force? No. What? I know about space. It's like a new branch of the military (laughs) meant to like do space. Oh, like to shoot shoot aliens. No. So Donald Trump created a new branch of the military called the Space Force. They got new uniforms, a new logo. But there was a bunch of head scratching around it because there's already a part of the government that like deals with space. It's called mm-hmm. NASA. I've heard of them. Those those yes, guys I know. Yes. Well, now there's Space Force. <laughs> Crushing it, Stacey. <laughs> Thank you. Feeling good. Stacey, where have you been? In space, might I suggest? I've been in Is my apartment <laughs> for four months. <laughs> oh, man. Mary, you got that point. Oh, wow. Thank you. But Stacy gets points for laughs as well. Oh, that's good. I'm going to need laugh points. I, I have a feeling I'm going to need some laugh points. I'm kind of concerned. All right. Here is the next quote. This one is fill in the blank. Name the company. Quote, in an important symbolic move, blank will recognize assistants as distinct individuals, providing them with email addresses that include their names. Amazon. What major Hollywood corporation made that move this week? It's a Hollywood company. Paramount. One of the big agencies. <laughs> CAA. Other one. Starts with a W. Um, OWMA? Yes. Yes. Oh. Yes. Okay. So, that, I don't even know if I should get that point. I was just saying letters. Well, you can have it. We'll let you have it. (laughs) So WME, also known as William Morris Endeavor, they're one of the big talent agencies in Hollywood. 
And for years, they've gotten really uh, bad coverage about the way they treat their lower-level employees. And so in a press release from WME this week, they said they're going to up the salaries of their assistants from $15 to $18 per hour. In addition to that, WME said that they're going to give the assistants their own email addresses with their own actual names. Wow. Because before, the emails for the assistants... As opposed to like pondscum at wme.com or something. (laughs) All of them at... (laughs) No, before the naming convention was agent, first initial, last name, dot assistant at wmeagency.com. I love that their move is to give people names. That's... Yeah. The holiness in me recognizes your email Mm -hmm. address. I know. Uh, I think this game is tied, so this last one's for all the marbles. <gasps> I know. Okay. Get excited, get scared. Nervous. Deep breaths, soothing breaths. All right. This quote was uttered by a famous rapper. That's the only hint I'll give you. The quote is, we flew to Provence and picked the grapes and made the blend and everything. We're trying to make an empire so that we can drink for free and our kids can eat forever. Is this Snoop? He's younger, and he uh, just launched a hit rosé. Ooh. Well, uh, think of the most famous white <laughs> rapper right now, not Eminem. Um, Macklemore? Oh, you're <laughs> years behind. Okay, okay. <laughs> Tattoos on his face, gold grill. Oh, Circles. That yeah, guy. what's his name? I'm just in a shame spiral. <laughs> I don't know. Post Malone. Post Malone, you're right. Post Malone, yes, Post Malone. Yeah. So Post Malone, I think the strangest looking rapper alive. He was talking recently with the Wall Street Journal about his new rosé, <laughs> which is called Maison <laughs> Number no. 9. Can I tell y'all, the Post Malone rosé launched in June, and in its first two days, it sold 50,000 bottles. Really? Wow. I think like Post Malone won the COVID recession. I, I love the idea of, like, yeah. a rapper launching rosé because rosé is, like, the girliest of the drinks. Oh, you yeah. You know? Trying oh, to get yeah. men to drink rosé has always been a challenge. But This man will drink rosé. But there was that huge shortage in the Hamptons a few years ago. It was horrible. <laughs> so this is actually very smart from targeting a, a market need. There you go. Uh, on that note, who won? We all won. I think Mary won. I Does think it Mary count won. if he whispered the answer to me? I think we are tied for all winning together. Oh, there you go. Let's do it. We all better won. together. America won. <laughs> better <of> together. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, on that lovely note, um, Mary Childs, co-host and correspondent for NPR's Planet Money, and Stacey Vanek Smith, co-host of Planet Money's daily economics podcast, The Indicator. Come back and let's do this again sometime soon, huh? This was so fun. Anytime. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Sometimes food is more than just food. It's an integral part of the community. So this year, Discover is giving $5 million to support Black-owned restaurants. To places like Rodney Scott's Barbecue in Charleston, Post Office Pies in Birmingham, Back in the Day Bakery in Savannah, and hundreds more places in your local community all across the country. Learn how you can show your support at discover.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Ancestry. Every family has a story. Bring yours to life with Ancestry. An Ancestry DNA test can tell you where your ancestors are from. And Ancestry's billions of records and millions of family trees let you discover their unique stories. What will you discover? 
It's easy to get started. Start your Ancestry 14-day free trial or get an Ancestry DNA kit at Ancestry.com NPR. A Minneapolis business owner's daughter is called out publicly for racist, anti-Black tweets. Fighting to save his business and trying to make amends, he calls on a prominent Black Muslim leader for help. He's an Arab Muslim. And I said, Brother Makram, I'm here to learn. Tell me what to do. To hear what happens next, listen to Code Switch from NPR. We're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. So 2020, it has been hard. And the thing that makes it really hard, for me at least, is that no one seems to know when this weird, strange time we're in right now. No one knows when it will end. We can't have our summer fun like normal. Some cities and states are on the verge of closing down again or for the first time. And no one can give us a timeline for ending all this. I've been thinking for months now what kind of things we turn to in moments like this, moments of extreme uncertainty. A lot of folks, including myself, they turn to faith. So this next conversation is about faith and finding solace in spirituality right now. I called up Reverend Jess Cass. She's an ordained minister of word and sacrament in the United Church of Christ, based in State College, Pennsylvania. And Jess told me her congregation is feeling all the uncertainty, and she is too. And she tells them that it's okay to wonder about things bigger than us. Actually, a lot of people are wanting to talk about transcendent things in the middle of a pandemic. Like, give us hope. How does our holy text, our scripture, our traditions, how does that lift us up out of this moment? In this conversation, I asked Reverend Jess, is there something that speaks candidly to the question of this moment, to the doubt of this moment, to the I don't know of this moment for her? Sam, if we're honest, like most of the Bible is what's going on, God? Like, where are you, God? <laughs> you know, yeah. I, these are people yeah. that um, by faith showed up to each day, but they didn't know what they were walking into. Um, I mean, think about even the book of Psalms, all 150 of the Psalms, just under 50% of those Psalms have grief and lament themes in them of mm. life is crap. Where are you, God? Like, that's the paraphrase, okay? <laughs> but I find... I like that translation. <laughs> did you not have that one growing up? <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> but, I mean, Sam, think about Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken yeah. me? Yeah. I think faith makes room for doubt. Faith makes room for questions. You never hear that, though. People don't talk about it like that enough, you know? Uh, well, yeah, I I do know because I think people are angry that that religious yeah. leaders don't. Um, yeah, I mean, think about when we're young as a kids, mom, why, mom, why, you know? <laughs> yes, all the time. All the time, you know, and we, that stays with us as we continue to get older. Why, God? Why? Why is this happening? Why? 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 And. I'm not afraid to ask the whys. I'm not afraid to doubt. And I'm also not afraid to say, I don't know. There's a lot of things I don't know. Yeah. Do you think that your congregation will come out of this stronger and more connected? I think we will be changed. And we will, I think we will know each other more deeply. And I think we Mm. will 
trust each other more deeply. And there has Mm. been immense prayer and study during the week and even laughter. I mean, like, let's not over-spiritualize everything. Like just talking about our gardens or just talking about a new new cocktail or something. Just that, just that social connection brings us together and we get to see each other differently. And I do believe that will set us up for when we return to the future in-person meeting together. Yeah. I want to ask you about one more topic that you brought up with my colleague Andrea before this interview, which I thought of when you were talking about how we're all just in this moment of change. Mm-hmm. You, you, you mentioned this idea of a liminal space. I'm so glad you brought this up. <laughs> Tell me all about it. I think when you first hear the phrase liminal space, you're like, oh, whose PhD dissertation is that from? Like, break it down real plain for all the humans to understand, even the babies. So there are times in our life when we feel like the past we're no longer living in and Mm. the new future has not really settled yet. It might be Mm -hmm. right after a divorce and it feels weird and new and exciting and maybe sad depending on what type of divorce you had. (laughs) And But the new hasn't settled yet. It's like this weird in-between space or feeling like a loved one had just died. Someone, grandma, Mm. had just died of COVID maybe. Mm -hmm. And the new reality of our family has not been made new yet. And there's this in-between time of she's not suffering from the disease anymore. And yet we're not totally at peace and settled into a new reality. It just kind of feels uncomfortable in some ways. Yeah. That liminal space is that space, that in-between space between what was and what is yet to come. And And you were saying that like this idea of liminal space was introduced like in the book of Genesis. I had never thought about that before. You and me both. This is why I invited (laughs) my dear friend who is a a Jewish, um, Jewish religious leader. She's in Brooklyn and I invited her to join me in a co-sermon. In, in Judaism, there's all this wonderful ideas of liminal space. And then in the book of Genesis, the story goes, when God created the world, God created the land, and God created mm-hmm. this, the, the heavens and the sky. And in Genesis, there's this word for it's In English, it's dome, that God created the dome between the two. And right here in this creation story is a story of, of a liminal space. It's not land. Mm-hmm. It's not sky, mm. it's the dome. And mm. here we are in this liminal space of, well, how are we going to live together now? What does it mean to allow the new to come forward in our life? What does it mean to go from the land to the sky here? I like you talking about this idea of liminal space, this, 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 this between, between the earth and the heaven. Because for me, it ties back to ascension and Christ returning to the heavens. Hmm. Even Jesus Christ, on his way back to be in glory, had to pass through that liminal space, even if just for a second. We all have to go through it. Now, someone's ready to join me in Bible study next week, Sam. <laughs> I Yes. <laughs> Jesus is going through the liminal space back to... Oh, I love that. You want to come and sermonize with me this Sunday? Oh, listen, <laughs> if I walked into a church, lightning might strike. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that that's exactly it. Wow. 
I like that. I like this too. I really enjoyed this conversation. Me too. Thanks again to Reverend Jess Cass. She's an ordained minister of word and sacrament in the United Church of Christ. Now it's time to end the show as we always do. Every week, listeners share the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag and they do. Let's hear a few of those submissions. Hi, Sam. This is Sarah in Decatur, Georgia. The best part of my week is that my mom bought me a box fan as an early birthday present. It is the best thing ever. Listen to that sweet, sweet sound. Cold air going. Oh, my God. Hi, Sam. This is Michelle. And the highlight of my week was crossing the Long Island Sound from Connecticut to New York on my paddleboard. And I'm pretty proud of myself. Hey Sam, this is Jesse calling from Somerville, Mass, and the best part of my week was spending a few days at the beach with my family. It was great to see them, great to be outside, and just good to get away. Hi Sam, this is Armani, currently in Northern California. The best thing that happened to me this week was completing the first half of the Pacific Crest Trail, and I just wanted to let you know that uh, I listen to your show every day after I set up camp. Uh, So thank you for being with me in the past uh, 1,300 miles. Hey, Sam. This is Misty from Perry, Oklahoma. The best part of my week was getting to go on a grocery run with my 11-year-old daughter. We talk every day, but there was something about the commute to just give us time to really connect. It was a lot of fun, and... She talked my ear off in the best way possible. Anyways, love the show. Have a good week. Hope you're having a good week. Thanks for listening. Thank you once again. Bye, Sam. Thanks to all those listeners you heard there. Misty, Armani, Jesse, Michelle, and Sarah. Listeners, don't forget, you can be a part of this segment, too. Just record the sound of your voice sharing the best part of your week on your phone and send that voice file to us at samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. All right, this week the show was produced by Janae West, Anjali Sastry, and Andrea Gutierrez. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hochman. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson. Our big boss is NPR's senior VP of programming, Anya Grundman. Listeners, till next time, thank you for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. We'll talk soon.